Hello and welcome back to The Story Goes. I'm your host, Mike O'Mara, and I am sitting in a lovely studio uh, in an arts building in uh, North Evanston, which is just north of Chicago. And I'm here with one of, and this is not hyperbole just because I'm sitting in her studio, probably one of my favorite living artists. Um, her work is incredible, and her name is Sarah Kaiser Amaral. Say hello, Sarah. Hi, Mike. Thanks for coming today. Thank you for having me. Um, as we start every episode, I like to begin by kind of giving the listener an idea of who my guest is. So if you'd just tell us a little bit about yourself, and I learned a long time ago not to ask anyone's age, <laughs> but if you want to give a range or whatever it I is. I don't mind. Okay, so go, <laughs> go ahead. Take it away. Who is Sarah? Okay, so I'm 44 and I'm a female. Um, grew up around Cincinnati. Cincinnati Midwest mm -hmm. and moved to Chicago about 20 years ago oh when I came to grad school. Did you go to the School of the Art Institute? No, I went to the the University of Chicago. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, their art program is a lot smaller, mm -hmm. although it's grown a lot. But mm -hmm. I went there back in 2001, mm -hmm. 2001 to 2003. And so I studied painting and some video and studied more contemporary art. Oh, okay. Yeah. And learned that's, a lot of theory. I'm staring at you, uh, at your work around the studio right now, and it it it's not what I would consider uh, quote unquote contemporary visual art. No, it's more traditional in that it's figurative. Mm -hmm. So I have taught at a number of schools, and my style really changed based on where I taught. Mm -hmm. So I didn't walk out of there making videos or making a bunch what of cubes you call, on a yeah. um, conceptual art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've really been much more rooted in the foundations, and mm -hmm. I enjoy uh, realism, yet my style isn't photorealistic, mm. so I enjoy drawing the human figure and mm -hmm. studying anatomy, thinking about muscular bone structures, mm -hmm. but also animals and nature, and um, so I'm more rooted in a physical reality. <laughs> I make work that is most artists are not <laughs> yeah I, I'm I'd say I'm a bit esoteric in my own way but okay. I still make things okay yeah and uh, you said you were originally from Cincinnati yes and what was uh, what was childhood like in Cincinnati I've never I think I've been through Cincinnati and I've eaten some of your weird chili yeah the uh, skyline chili. Yeah, yeah but I that's about all I know so what's sure. what was childhood like well, we'll just start with Skyline Chili. I <laughs> ate a lot of that. Okay. And it's a neat chili because it has a little bit of cocoa in yes, it. Yes, yeah. And it has a little jam. Yeah, so it's, it's like mole or something. It's almost yeah. mole, yeah. Mm. It's got a sweetness to it. Sure. And you can have it on a hot dog or you can have it on pasta. I've had it on pasta before. That's where I had it, on spaghetti. Yeah. yeah. So when you buy it, you can have it with beans or onions mm -hmm. or cheese. Mm -hmm. So I always ate a lot of that. And then growing up in Cincinnati, I'm German. So okay. my family would eat the brats and the stinky cheese, the mm. Limburger cheese, yes. the um, sauerkraut, mm -hmm. German beer. Mm -hmm. So growing up, uh, I lived around this little village called the Main Strauss okay. area up right. in Covington, which is actually across the river from Cincinnati. Okay. And so they have cobblestone streets and... Wow, that's like real... It feels a bit like Bavaria oh, yeah. in a way. Have Even, you ever been to Germany? Yeah, I went there last week. Actually. Oh, just last week? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh my God, I forgot that you were out of town. Was that your first time or...? No, and I was only in the airport, really. Uh, okay. We flew into Frankfurt, and then we drove a couple hours to uh, Luxembourg, mm -hmm. which is where my brother-in-law lives. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So... Um, was it a big um, immediate family or small family? Do you have any siblings? Uh, my siblings, I have half siblings, so okay. they count as siblings. Yeah, sure. And my parents were divorced mm -hmm. when I was about two. Oh, wow. And then they both remarried, mm -hmm. and they each had two more kids. So you have all those? Each. Yeah, so I have four half siblings. Wow. Are you close? In a way. Um, I think since I was the first child from the first marriage, I'm older than them, mm. and I grew up differently. Mm. So my um, parents were really young when I was born. Mm. My mom was 19 when she got married, oh, wow. and 
was 20 when I was born. Wow. And so she waited about 13 more years to have my brothers. Oh, so that's a wait. That's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I'm almost like a second mom to them. Yeah. Or they treat you like an aunt or something. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm like the great aunt or something. <laughs> um, so were you always like going to be an artist? Was it something that when you were little where you're like, oh, my God, I have to do this? Or was it something that came on later? I think it honestly happened because I was bored. <laughs> 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 I was an only child until I was 13. Yeah. And um, my mom and I had to move often because she was working her way up the ladder and she worked at Levi Strauss, the mm. blue jean yeah, company. Sure. And so we, I went to a lot of different schools and I didn't know a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I was always that new kid. Yeah, sure. And so uh, being alone and not really having siblings or friends around, I started to make art. Mm. And that's how I would uh, fill my time. Did you use it to, um, how can I say this? Can, like, did you use it to escape or did you use it to uh, give you something to fit in or something to kind of like show other kids? That's a really good question. I, I think it was more of escapist philosophy, mm -hmm. and I still use it for that reason oh, yeah? often. Do you consider um, yourself pretty shy? or? No, I've never really been shy. And I think going to all those different schools, it made me really adaptable, and mm -hmm. it's easy for me to meet people and get mm -hmm. to know them. Mm -hmm. But I think making art for me was um, a way to just completely absorb me because when you're a kid and you go to a new school yeah. and you don't really know anybody, mm -hmm. art is this way to absorb you and uh, help you adapt and and figure everything out, mm -hmm. which I still see. So, did you draw? Um, did you draw scenes from your own life? Like, was it was it representative of like what was your style when you were a little kid? Did you do like cartoons? <laughs> did you do like comics? Did you do landscapes? What was your first kind of like art love? I remember drawing pictures of my family. And, oh, really? And I always kind of struggled with that because my parents got remarried. Both of them did. And I remember doing this one picture where there were um, my parents. They each had their new families. Mm. And I never really felt like I fit into that family. Wow, yeah, right. So I remember doing this kind of Venn diagram where... Oh, wow. On the left is my mom's family, on the right is my dad's family. And, and you're stuck in the center? And I'm in the center and I don't really fit in either one. And I think that had a lot to do with just my identity. And so I think drawing helped me figure out my identity mm -hmm. or, or figure out that I didn't really fit anywhere. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's the escape that... Um, drawing was this place, or just art in general, mm -hmm. is this place where I've always fit. Hmm. And it's always provided kind of the family for me that I didn't really have outside of art. Wow. So, yeah. And then I don't really remember a lot of the pictures I drew when I was a kid. Hmm. I think it may have been the type of scribbling that little kids do sure. where they fill the page. Yeah, sure. And it's more about mark making and yeah. it's more about energy and just some physical release. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really have any drawings I made when I was a kid. Oh, really? I wish I did. Yeah. But um, my mom didn't keep them, so I don't know what happened to them. Wow. Yeah. They'd be worth some money now. I don't know. I, I mean, she, so. she did keep the ones from college, so hmm. those are nice to look at, but they're more exercises. Mm -hmm. um, it was just a, a teacher saying, do you this. know, shade and do shadows and. Right paint this box and right. show me you can paint in perspective right right so um i'm always interested because because my own um uh career path has been in the arts mm -hmm. i'm always interested when i talk to other um artists about uh the the very tumultuous or oftentimes tumultuous period of kind of choosing to be crazy and do this for a living. <laughs> um, and I know for me, when I was um, getting, you know, it was getting late in high school and all the people are kind of like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do, mm -hmm. you know? And my parents, my own parents are both doctors. Mm -hmm. 
And so they were like, hey, I guess you're going to be a doctor too. You know what I mean? Like mm. everyone thought I was just going to do that. Because, Expectations, well, yeah. Because they knew all the doctors in the city. They could easily help me out. And, you know, it was it's just hard. expected. My mom did it. My dad did it. I should do it, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I completely just went the other way. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to make no money. And I think I'm going to be crazy and like write poems and songs and mm-hmm. do that. It's a real struggle. Right? And, and to my parents' credit, eventually they were like, we give up, you know, like mm-hmm. do what, do what you want to do. You know, you're making yeah. a mistake, but do it. Yeah. Um, but I at least they relate. let me do it. You know, they helped me as much as they could. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder when I talk to other artists, like what was that like for you? Like when it got to, you know, the end of high school and you're kind of deciding what you're going to do, was it like mm-hmm. a no brainer? And your parents were like, yeah, go, you're good. Go ahead and do this. Or, or No, there was definitely <laughs> a pushback. Yeah. Um, what did they want you to do? They wanted me to go into some sort of business, so sure. um, my mom's really business-minded, and mm-hmm. I respect her for that. Mm-hmm. Um, she's much better at math than I am, for example, but both of them are really workers. So my dad uh, had his own company, which was fixing heaters and air conditioners. And so that's like very practical. That's very, like opposite, very practical. Opposite of being an artist for a living. Yes. Yeah, so this concept of artist was very foreign to sure. them. And even today, it, it's something they ask me about, but they don't fully <laughs> comprehend. And now they are supportive. But certainly back in college, there was the, what are you going to do with that idea? Or the... Um, Kind of satirical how's the basket weaving going <laughs> right of i don't really understand what you're doing in school right. but to their credit they were always glad that i was in college because neither of them went to college oh okay and they never said i couldn't do it so they never said no you're not going to be an artist right and i've certainly met other people whose parents did say that oh, that yeah. said I'm sorry, I know you want to do this, but it's crazy. it can be a hobby and you're not allowed. Uh, they never did that. They never said, "Yeah, you absolutely cannot do this, yeah. right? I um, I still run into that. I mean, I run, run I think that that, that will be uh, until the end of human existence, until the end of civilization, that will be a struggle between kind of people who are very... Um, practical minded mm-hmm. and people who are we're kind of off in our own mm-hmm. realities right mm-hmm. we're crazy artists who are like I just have to do this because it's the only thing that I wake up to do and it's mm-hmm. the thing I think about all day long right it's the only thing I'm really good at well I th- well yeah you run into that a lot like a lot mm-hmm. of people say that too and I say that about myself too and I think that if I'm if I was you know critical um in a positive light if I was realistic if I looked at myself uh, as a whole mm-hmm. I think I'm probably realistically okay at several things mm-hmm. but it is it is my the art side of me that is has all the passion right, right so right, so like right. maybe I could be a lawyer but I would hate every every second of that every second of that I would hate right and I would be mediocre at say being a social worker sure or uh, other fields. I, I did major in social work for oh, wow. a long time, and that was because of this pushback of mm-hmm. you have to do something. What are you going to do? And this is more practical, mm-hmm. and you're a woman, and you're supposed to help people, and etc. Oh, yeah, interesting. So with gender, that got in the way too. Mm-hmm. But ironically, teaching is a way of helping people. So and somewhat ironically, uh, at least when I was growing up, the kind of uh, the thought was most of your artsy teachers are going to be women. Right. Because that's so like, so like nurturing and, you know. And I hate to say even craftsy. There's this sure, right. assumption that right. women are going to go to Michael's and buy a bunch of lace and <laughs> right. buy a bunch of glue guns. And right. I love glue guns. <laughs> glue a bunch of shit to a yeah. chair, right? Right. right. So um, you, you deal with that too. Right. And so... Back to what I was thinking and some of the pressures of mm-hmm. the voices, mm-hmm. not the ones in my head, but the external ones, mm-hmm. right? The parents and the teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was definitely a confusion. Mm-hmm. Except the teachers, the art teachers, some of them really helped me mm-hmm. to stick to my guns. That's and great. 
believe in myself. That's great. And so as a teacher, I try to do that. Right. So that actually leads us so nicely into the meat of what this show is all about. So as the as the listeners may know, or maybe this is your first episode, in which case, thanks for stopping by. uh, This (laughs) this podcast is called The Story Goes. And the reason it is, is for this question. Sarah, you ready? Yep. I like to ask people, tell me a story that changed you. And it can be a story about a person, a place, a thing, an event, something that you think has kind of brought you into your worldview as it sits this morning. Yeah, um, it happened in grad school. Okay. And in graduate school, I was really struggling because I came in there thinking I'd learn how to paint. Mm -hmm. And I had already learned a lot about painting in undergrad, but mainly I was self-taught. Wow. So I was thinking, I, I want to learn about mediums mm-hmm. and color theory and about all the technicalities of mm-hmm. paint. And instead, I was reading all about theory, like Derrida and philosophy. And mm. um, I was expected to make all these videos. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't what I thought I was getting. Mm-hmm. And there was a real struggle there. And a lot of the teachers didn't want me to paint, believe it or not. They didn't want you to paint? No, they wanted me to philosophize more or... Like talk about art? Talk about art, but not really make art. Hmm. But I met a teacher who, his name's Herbert George, Mm -hmm. and he's a sculptor. Okay. And his whole process is very physical in that he's always working with really heavy rocks and metals and Hmm. uh, marble and chipping away. Mm -hmm. And all of his students were always doing things with their hands. Okay. And he really believed in making something physical and not getting too esoteric. Mm -hmm. I I like thinking about meaning and what um, something means, Mm -hmm. but he was really grounded in reality of making physical things with his hands. So what kinds of sculptures um, did he make? Are they kind of like the old masters? Were they just like, there were the human figures or? Mm, he, he makes hands. Oh, yeah, so hands. He, he's done hands, but he's also done more abstract mm. sculptures and he's worked with transparent materials. Oh, wow. Um, and so he responds to the material in a spiritual way. Mm. And that's what he helped me to do. Is With painting? Yeah, with painting. Even though he's a sculptor, mm-hmm. he helped me to relate to the physical qualities of painting. And more than just painting, he, helped, he believed in me mm. when other people didn't. Mm-hmm. And he basically sat me down and said, uh, look, this is how it is, and this is going to be a struggle, but you can do this. And wow. the fact that he believed in me really made a huge difference in my whole experience. Was was he um, kind of the first teacher who had kind of like directly openly said that to you? No, um, there are other ones. In undergrad, there was a woman named Patrice Sullivan, mm-hmm. and she, taught painting. She still does at Colorado State University where I went to school. Mm. I moved out west just to escape reality. (laughs) And she was the teacher whose voice I still hear. Mm. Uh, She taught me some very concrete ideas about painting, such as how to look for shapes and not things. Oh, wow. Okay. How to fill the canvas when you start and how to search for form. Hmm. And she was a very strong voice. Um, she was from Boston, and mm-hmm. sometimes she'd scare me. <laughs> she'd sneak up behind me and say things like, you're isolating, <laughs> which means- <laughs> It sounds like a, like a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Yeah, in a way, and you start to see the connections. But isolating in painting is when you only do one little mm-hmm. part. You're and working you're not on one. thinking of the whole. Mm-hmm. So she got me to think about unity and Mm. Um, and to this day, a lot of the things I tell my students are things she told me. Interesting. So she's another very powerful teacher in my life. That so I am 
this leaves me with a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of questions, and I am excited to kind of explore some of this with you. So, um, a couple of things you said struck me, and I want to just get them out of my mouth so that they're in the ether and we're thinking about them. Okay. So you said um, you mentioned um, a sense of uh, spirituality or an esotericism when you're talking about uh, working. Uh, in your field, so I kind of want to I want to touch on that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you also spoke about the physicality of painting, mm-hmm. and because I haven't painted since college, so <laughs> I'd like to talk about what that what that means to you. Um, mm-hmm. And then I also well, there's so many good things to talk about. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about um, teaching because it seems it seems to me. Um, I don't start these episodes with any kind of, um, uh, I don't have a goal in mind, like we're going to, I'm going to get this person to talk about this, but what has bubbled to the surface for me in our conversation thus far is the importance of positive teaching Mm -hmm. and, and, and what the influence of a good teacher can be. And since you're a teacher and I'm a teacher, and obviously you've talked today about being influenced by some teachers, I want to talk about that as well. Mm -hmm. So those are the things I want to hit. So here we go. Let's go back to number one here. So you, you spoke about your, your, your um, sculpting mentor. Mm -hmm. His name's Herbert. Herbert. Herbert George. Herbert. Okay. And you spoke a little bit um, about kind of this spirituality uh, or finding spirituality in um, your medium. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that in your own? Do you do you like mm-hmm. do you subscribe to any particular religion or belief or? Well, I I am a recovering Catholic. You too, huh? <laughs> so, <laughs> I was I went to Catholic school. So did and I. I. Ironically, the thing that was most spiritual to me was the singing. So, me too. Um, the church songs and mm-hmm. the, I was in a choir. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that sticks with me, since I don't go regularly every Sunday, sure. is, is the singing. Mm-hmm. And so I hear a song, uh, it, it brings me back and it makes me think of my family mm. and the rituals, mm-hmm. um, my grandparents who aren't alive anymore. Mm-hmm. So if I do go to mass, which honestly is when my mom visits and she wants to go, uh, it's the singing that connects spiritually. Mm -hmm. I I tune the rest out like the, um, politics. Yeah. The sitting, the standing, the kneeling, the recitation of the prayers and stuff, but it's the singing that really does it for me. And how does that translate that, that feeling that comes uh, to you from hearing a song and being connected. Explain a little bit of how that feeling presents itself when you're working in a visual uh-huh. uh, sure. medium for you. So it, it relates to color. And mm. I remember, or even now, when I'm in mass, I'm often daydreaming and looking at the windows. Makes and sense. Looking at the stained glass windows and thinking about the color and the light mm-hmm. or the architecture of mm-hmm. the room. and if I had a piece of paper, what it would feel like to draw the ceiling, for example. Or... What it would feel like? Like yeah. physically, pen on paper, or mentally, or both? Sometimes I actually start drawing the room, yeah. And then when I paint, I think a lot about color, mm-hmm. um, spiritually, what color means. Mm. So yellow is a transcendent color, and I've been painting all sorts of clouds, mm. so... Uh, that's spiritual and kind of psychological too, mm-hmm. and that I can paint um, clouds with light breaking through them, mm-hmm. or I can paint stormy clouds. And it's a bit like in a movie where it starts raining during the part. Scene setting, yeah. 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 So just like in a movie where the weather uh, dictates the feelings, mm. a lot of times I'll paint clouds that relate to how I feel. Sure, okay. So I've done some dark stormy clouds and I've done some um, sunsets and sun sunrise. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I just connect to it spiritually. Mm-hmm. It's hard to put it into words, but. Is that, would you consider art um, or art making um, your 
for lack of a better term, meditative process? I mean, is that? It's definitely meditative because it's the one thing I can do that I lose track of time mm -hmm. and I escape and it completely absorbs me. How are you, like, outside of art, would you find yourself, would you consider yourself kind of a, a calm person or kind of an anxious, wired up person? I always joke that um, I grew up mainly in the 80s, so. Mm -hmm. It's a good decade I to grow up, lots been, of good music. Yeah, great music. I would have probably been designated as ADD, mm -hmm. probably, because of my attention span and the fact that I do so many things at once mm -hmm. and multitask. Mm -hmm. So they probably would have put me on Ritalin or something. But how did you avoid that? Um, it really wasn't. It wasn't ubiquitous then. Okay. So when you were growing up, your parents were just like, "She's just nuts." Yeah. <laughs> Or she's drawing, that's just what she's doing. Um, I got into a lot of trouble as a kid, as a teenager. Like, um, dare to elaborate a little bit? Like, what kind of trouble? Kids were always daring me to do stuff, right? <laughs> really? And, and I was always the one kid that would do it, um, the give, brave kid. Give me uh, something stupid you did. Um, I stole a pizza out of a car. <laughs> you stole a pizza out of a car? Yeah. So, like, someone was going to deliver the pizza or something? Yeah, yeah. We, they just left their door unlocked? No. We were latchkey kids, which oh, meant yeah. we were 13, right. and we had a lot of time on our hands. So you learned how to pick and locks? No. It was this brilliant concept of... I had a friend named Trisha uh -huh. who, who also was home alone a lot without parents around to yep. <laughs> keep her out of trouble. Sure. And she came up with a brilliant plan, uh, brilliant in quotes, right? Yeah, sure. Of let's, let's get a pizza delivered to the neighbor's house. Oh. And when the delivery person is ringing the doorbell we'll and no one's home, pizza. you go take it out of the car. <laughs> Sarah. That's awesome. <laughs> Not so much. No, I mean, like, it's illegal. But, like, that's yeah. also pretty cool for, like, being, what, 13, 14? Yeah, we were thinking outside of the box. and Or inside the box because you wanted the pizza. <laughs> uh, what, do you still remember what kind of pizza it was? No, because we never ate it. You didn't eat it? Well, the delivery woman uh -huh. who was probably maybe in her early 20s. Probably, yeah saw me taking it out of the car. Uh oh. So she turned around and she was on the doorstep of the house where she was delivering mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So I was maybe about 30 feet away and mm -hmm. she started shouting at me. Uh -oh. And so my adrenaline kicked in yeah. and I just started running down the street <laughs> with the pizza in my hand <laughs> and it was dark. And so eventually I threw it on the ground because yeah. I realized that I couldn't run very fast With holding a pizza. a pizza. Right, sure. So we never ate it. That's a bummer. I, I wish, know. I wish you would have eaten the pizza. That would have been the <laughs> topper to that. I'm sure nothing tastes as good as a, as a delinquent pizza. That's uh, the one story I tell people. I think the, the pizza story. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, That seems... Um, to not jive like it, it seems to not jive with your outer um kind of the way you present yourself because right, right. i mean granted i don't i don't know you entirely well yet I'm, which is part of the reason i'm glad i'm getting to talk to you today but mm -hmm. but you seem so calm you, <laughs> you seem very uh uh very zen mm -hmm. and like we for the listeners we we work in the same place or we have studios in the same place so i see sarah in the halls here and there and uh, in stark contrast to some of the other artists, visual and uh, and oral and music uh, people that I know, uh, Sarah seems really chill. Like she would never steal a pizza from anyone. Um, <laughs> that's what you think. <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, well, that's that's the point I'm getting to. Like, do you do you think that the way do you think maybe um, maybe getting older does this to all of us? But do you think you've you've kind of chilled out? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think art calms me. Mm. And if I don't make art, I feel it and I get really nervous. Mm. So art is, I, I think of, of if you have a live wire and you stick it in the ground and mm -hmm. you ground it, mm -hmm. art grounds me that mm -hmm. way. Um, it's literally a projection of energy. Mm -hmm. And I think um, 
sometimes I feel like I have a little gerbil on a wheel in my head running sure. around. Sure. And so painting uh, stops the wheel from mm. turning. Mm -hmm. Or it doesn't stop it, but it slows it down. and Gives it something to focus on. It's those beta waves, mm -hmm. right? That if, if people do these processes, mm -hmm. they tap into that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the meditative process. Mm -hmm. I, I totally feel you on that. Uh, mm -hmm. I am um, myself a... Uh, composer and performer and writer <laughs> and everyone always tells me like you know can you just pick one or can you just like calm down I'm like no I can't <laughs> and that's why I do all the things I do like mm -hmm. I think for many people who are in the arts I think your art is something that you have to do mm -hmm. almost more than you just do mm -hmm. right and I for think that that's sanity. right and yeah. I think that that is part of what creates the output that makes the difference between um, a hobby artist and a professional artist. Because a professional mm -hmm. artist, you could pay them nothing, and frequently we do get paid nothing. Mm -hmm. And you still do it, you know? Yeah, we I don't could, really do it for money. No, like, let's not tell anyone I mean, that, because we, we all we need, need money. We need money, right, but, right, right. but, but that's, that's the thing. not the prime motivator. Right. Yeah. And that I know in my own life, that's gotten me in trouble sometimes money wise, because mm -hmm. you just say yes to everything or you just do everything because mm -hmm. you just love it so much that you do it. I would do it for free every day. Yeah. My husband criticizes me sometimes because I will do things. I don't think he realizes that I just love doing it and that it's good for me. Yeah. And, and you need to do it. And I appreciate the fact that he pushes me to charge more. He's a bit like my business manager because he helps me do my taxes. We all need one. He says, you need to charge more for this. And so sometimes I get mad at him, but it's all worth it because mm -hmm. I, he just is looking out for me really. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah, it's that relationship of we do it because of the rewarding things it does for our minds and our spirits. Right. Um, and hopefully our students if we're teachers and and our students yeah it, it's very powerful to see it help someone else too right um, someone who really needs it right so I strive to pass that on that type of synergy that mm -hmm. teachers have touched my life I've I try to do the same mm -hmm. and sometimes it it might mean tough love which might mean telling someone that they need to work harder, mm. right, or pushing them, mm. and seeing that they have potential, but mm -hmm. there's some block that's mm -hmm. keeping them from reaching that. So this is a really good segue, because the next mm -hmm. thing I wanted to get into talking about is teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this debate comes up every time um, I feel like I'm speaking with, with other art, artists. Um, this idea of uh, talent, versus and sometimes it shouldn't be versus but talent versus uh effort right perseverance right yeah. perseverance mm -hmm. and you see people in physical sports and basketball baseball whatever you see them in music dance and visual art sometimes mm -hmm. where some people are just incredibly gifted they're mm -hmm. born able to do things technically they're just wired that way mm -hmm. um and sometimes when I am teaching, particularly when I am teaching adults in my own life, you get this kind of nihilistic kind of viewpoint from people that like, well, I was never good at this, so I'm never going to be good at this. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, it becomes a real challenge to try to change someone's mind and to help them see that like everything starts, you start at step A. Mm -hmm. And everyone can get to whatever their step Z is. Mm -hmm. And that might be different from the next person, but you can still, there's still somewhere to go. And it might take one person longer to get there, but if they persevere, they will get there. Right. Yeah, right. I've definitely dealt with that. Right. So what, like, how do you, you, you talked a second ago about, about um, seeing a student that has some kind of block there where they're not getting to their potential in your eyes. You don't see it. How, how do you suss that out? Like, how do you know with this student, it's, it's a matter of um, just technical ability. They're not there yet versus this student. There's something that's like, that's there that's stopping them. Yeah. Um, I teach at Wright College and I have a student who is, knows how to draw and is extremely precise, but 
he's so critical of himself that he won't hand things in. There you go. Because he wants them to be perfect. And what's perfect? And so I try to, yeah, what what is perfect? And so I try to get him to speed up and not um, overthink it hmm. because he's locked up. Hmm. It's a bit like if someone's trying to sing and mm -hmm. they're so afraid of singing the wrong note that they won't open their mouth. Yep. Right. Get that a lot. So I am working with him and he's not handing stuff in. Hmm. And so it's midterm and I gave him an F. Because you had to, I mean. And I felt like that was a little present that I was giving to him because it's a gift and it's gonna hurt and it's gonna make him mad. Um, in fact, we were drawing this bull head, this bull um, skeleton and hmm. I could almost see the horns growing out of his head because he was so angry. But he was drawing really fast and he was drawing really gesturally and loose and he wasn't um, overthinking it. Mm. So it was almost as if that little present I gave him unlocked something in him mm -hmm. and helped him. I think it was the anger that made him draw really well. Mm. And I've seen that in adults too. I, I had a student named um, Bob who came into class and he got into an argument with his son. Mm -hmm right before class and when he came in he did this amazing drawing because he was so angry hmm. and it all came out on the page yeah the so marks anger. he made and yeah anger can be a good motivator yeah i make some of my best work when i'm angry yeah yeah i mean i think that's kind of the the old trope of like poets and composers and stuff too right that's like we would not have if it weren't for things like sorrow and if it wasn't for terrible breakups and if it wasn't for people's <laughs> loved ones dying we would not have some of the best songs so some of the true. best poems yeah and so it, it it's like i don't know that's 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 kind of a that's kind of a dark gift that artists have but i guess mm -hmm. that's that's our burden to bear mm -hmm. <laughs> that we, and we have to work through that yeah and that's what makes our work strong and powerful i yeah. think yeah yeah so, um, uh, circling back a little bit before, um, you said you went out west to escape reality. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what realities were you running from? Uh, okay, so this was in 1993. Okay. And I had just finished my freshman year of college at Miami of Ohio, which mm -hmm. is in Oxford, Ohio. Mm -hmm. It's a little north of Cincinnati. And even though it was a really good school academically and it was hard to get into, it's still very homogenous mm -hmm. and there wasn't a lot of diversity there. Mm -hmm. And I felt, I felt stifled because I was in school, but I didn't know why. Oh. I didn't understand what I was supposed to accomplish. And so I just went far, far away and I dropped out of school uh, my parents were very angry, <laughs> and I, bet. I worked at a horse ranch in the mountains for a year so called Colorado Mountain Ranch. I mean, aptly named, but, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> so one day you just, did someone invite you to the horse ranch? Like, oh, the, no, I just dropped out of school. You just said, I'm just going to run, and you just stopped at a horse ranch? Well, I found them. I found them first, and this, this was before the internet. Yeah, that, that's what I was about to say. There's no inter You can't look up like I'm. You don't find a horse's Reddit page in 1993, <laughs> you know, like, and get inspired. Like, how does that work in in 93? I don't even remember how I found it. I I wonder if. See, I used to work at a camp. I worked uh, at a camp in northern Kentucky called Camp Ernst. Okay. And I worked with horses there. And so I knew I wanted to work at a camp because I was always happy at camp. So I think I found this camp um, directory of different camps around the U.S. Mm. And I found this one and I thought, oh, well, that's, that's, far enough away. <laughs> that's in Boulder. That sounds cool. So I had watched Mork and Mindy as a kid and sure, just thought, right. okay, I'll be happy out there. That is, <laughs> that is extremely adventurous. <laughs> so I... Just got in my car and drove out west and... Did you leave a note? Was there like a... Did you tell your folks you were going? Um, I said I'm dropping out of school. They were very upset with me. And then they yelled me. for a week. Yeah. They begged me not to go, but I did. And um, 
To my mom's credit, she drove out with me. So she did wow. instead of you know just getting you angry yeah. and. But it was my grandpa who said, "Just let her go," and I think she listened to him. And he wanted to go hunting out west. So, so he'd, he'd have a reason. He had this vision that I'd marry someone who would own a ranch, and he'd go out deer hunting <laughs> with his friends, which never happened, was obviously. Not to be. But so you okay? So <laughs> so you so you set up shop at the at the horse ranch, and mm-hmm. what were you? Were you just trying to find peace, meaning? Yeah. I, I didn't know it at the time, but yeah. sure. And so I had to wake up at 6 a.m. and feed the horses. And we'd bale hay. And sure. it was very physical. And um, we'd have to work with all different types of horses. And some of them had behavior issues. And one of them bit me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... That's not pleasant either. They are very strong. Right. It was a little um, pony, oh. and it bit me. Ouch. And the ponies can be mean. Yeah. But I've never really been afraid of horses. I um, guess not. I I connect with animals. And Do you own any yourself? I have a dog. Oh, yeah. I'd like to have a horse someday, but right we, now in Evanston, yeah, it's not We don't not really live in a very feasible. conducive for horses. <laughs> yeah. So, how, okay. So, let me get the timeline straight. So, you go... Mid nineties out to the horses. Early nineties. And yeah. then what you were there for how long? I was there for five years. At the horse ranch? No. Oh. I was at the horse ranch for a couple years and then I decided to go back to college. What um, what prompted that? Well, um I just finally felt like I found my way and I felt like I was able to listen to my own voice. Hmm. So, Did it sound like a horse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was neighing and uh, bucking me off. And it's biting. So the horse bucked me off, and I decided it's time to go back to school. Wow, that's a very biblical getting, getting back to the Catholic roots, right? Like you kind of see the light because a horse bucks you off. No, it just sounded good. Yeah, sounds, sounds pretty good. Um, yeah. So, okay, so then you go back to school, mm-hmm. and um, you are you have been married for how long? Five years. Oh, so this is fairly recent in the yeah. scheme of things. And uh, where did you meet your husband? Match.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. I was at an age, and he was too, where everyone was married, and yeah. we didn't want to go to a bar, and yeah. we had met too many... Mm, people that are not... Yeah, <laughs> that we, we had met the wrong people at bars, and the nice thing about Match is you can say exactly what you want. Sure. And the person that you meet matches that. I mean, obviously, that's that's the the name of it. And it wasn't completely easy because I signed up for a Mm six-month, what is it, subscription. I don't know. I've never been on. (laughs) Went out on a lot of dates with different people. Mm -hmm. And I was losing hope. And my (laughs) subscription was about to go out. Yeah. And he was the last person I met after six months. See, there's, there seems like there's a lot of serendipity in your life. Yeah, I think there when is. When you're t- talking about all these, like, just seemingly disconnected things. Yeah. And you seem to, like, everything has come together in some way. Finally. Yeah, <laughs> through a lot of perseverance. There's been many rough patches uh-huh. and um, mucking about. But, yeah, finally. Sure, yeah. So, um, what, is your husband an artist? He's a physicist. He's a physicist? Yeah, at Northwestern. Good God. He works in McCormick, which mm-hmm. is the um, engineering school. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't really do straight physics. Mm-hmm. He does more systems where he does, he looks at systems and networks. Mm. It's called network science. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm sure it's fascinating for him. Half of the time, I don't know what he does. So yeah. how do you, so where do you two find common ground? Well, he likes to look at art. Oh, and well, there you go. <laughs> he, he likes to go to a museum. There you go. Uh, he's helped me build things in here, such as the stage. Oh, so he's um, a, 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 a... He's He can build stuff. A buildy guy was what I was going to say. He's, he's a, a physicist. <laughs> yeah, so, so he, he understands gravity, and he helped me build a model stand so that models won't fall off of it. That's cool. And so... Yeah, he helps me because he's very logical, and I help him because 
I get them outside of his head. Mm. So I'm more spiritual and um, mm -hmm. I, I just help him relax and he helps me with logistical things, which is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Things that like the regular world and not us artists do like taxes. Pay, pay their taxes. Yeah. yeah. He helps me with taxes. <laughs> pay their bills. Before I met him, my taxes were a mess and he helped me um, straighten them all out. And yeah. I had all these back taxes to pay and I hadn't filed it correctly and <laughs> it was just a big mess. So yeah, he's brought a lot of order and peace to my life. Oh, well that's, I mean, yeah, something good to say uh, mm -hmm. for a partner. Mm -hmm. Um, and what do you do? so we so we're kind of up to currently let's talk about where you see kind of life and and your art and your students going in the next i don't know three five years like what do you hmm. i mean you got a very nice studio here you're set up personally seems like your husband's a good guy <laughs> uh so you're happy there um what's next or what what are the what are your current dreams what I really want to do is simplify my life. Simplify? So as a teacher, I teach at lots of different places. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd like to just teach here in this room. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to paint in the same room. Mm -hmm. And what helps is when I'm teaching here, I feel more legitimate because I can show them what I do. Mm -hmm. And if I'm teaching them about, say, color or how yeah. to draw an eye, Sure. I can point to this eye that I actually drew and right. they can see that I'm capable of doing it, mm -hmm. right? I think in other places where I teach, I don't have the work really to back me up. So I'll show them on an iPad or I'll show them my website mm -hmm. or I'll have to physically carry it everywhere mm -hmm. and then the work can get damaged. So it, it's just logistically it's hard, mm -hmm. especially just driving mm -hmm. and um, so Wright College is 45 minutes away in a car. That's a hike. And it's a really nice environment, and I like being there. But, yeah, I would like to just teach all my classes in here. And I live a half a mile away. I can walk here. Lovely. So that's what's great about noise is that it's all in one place. Sure. And so my goals are pretty simple in that I would like to just teach here and... Um, I have a couple shows coming up, so uh, that's in 2019 at Firecat Gallery down in Wicker Park. Wow. And uh, I have one at Evanston Arts Center coming up, and it's in the fall. Hmm. So my goals are just to actually have time to paint because I teach a lot, and mm -hmm. so it's really hard to strike a balance between mm -hmm. having time to actually make the work mm -hmm. versus you probably can relate teaching and being able to strike a balance financially, <laughs> right? Yeah, tell so, me when you tell me when you figure that one out. I haven't. Okay. I think it's always inversely proportional, where the more time I have to make my art, the right. less money I have. Correct. And vice versa. Right. So. Well, unfortunately, the world doesn't pay for process. The world pays for product. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. So you can teach a class, and they can put that on a checklist, and you can get paid for teaching the class, but they're not going to pay you to be inspired. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a bummer. I wish that we could fix that. But this yeah. is why, for hundreds of years, everyone hitched their wagon to the nearest royal, right? Because mm -hmm. you could just have a benefactor that has all the money in the world, and then you're fine. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um especially teaching art it definitely um it's hard to find a financial reward for it mm -hmm. right so what does what does success look like to you because you know some people are like well if i'm not hanging in a big museum by the time i'm dead yeah <laughs> then like that's, that's then i'm question. not success or like if i don't have a student that makes whatever it makes it huge here or there then I must not be a success and some people yeah. measure success in much smaller you know close to home ways it's hard because I fall in a trap of sometimes comparing myself to others no kidding <laughs> I think all artists do we look at people who are our age and where they've achieved in their careers and think gosh I haven't done that yet and so I fall into this trap where I need to not do that and step back and look at what I have done 
and be satisfied, right? Mm -hmm. So mm, how do I measure success? I, I guess I measure success by just perseverance, that hmm. if I get up every day and make art, and even if I don't like it, or even if it, even if nobody buys it, mm. what's successful for me is that I'm just doing it for myself. Mm. So I've had to reprogram myself. How and, so? Well, I made my students read this article by Georgia O'Keeffe, mm -hmm. and it was about... Flowers? <laughs> kind of, <laughs> yeah, kind of. But it was also about looking at bones and looking at shadows on bones and how meaningful the process was. Hmm but also that it was okay to make work for herself. And she mentioned how value for people outside of her was often measured in if a painting sold or not. Sure, right. And she realized that the real value is what the painting, what the process does for yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's more about the process and not the product. Mm -hmm. So lately I've been trying to uh, remind myself that this process is healthy in itself and it's meditative. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to measure success that way. Um, it's hard for that not to feel selfish sometimes though, isn't it? When yeah. there's no kind of external um, kind of cataloging of our, um, of our achievements, right? Yeah, we, we definitely need some sort of external reward once in a while, like the carrot and the horse. We, we need a carrot once in a while to keep going. Yeah. Um, and I think in my life the carrots come enough to keep me going, Good. right? I've definitely gone through some dry spells or some hardships where I've wanted to just hang it up and walk away. Wow. But then I don't feel good. And what would so, you do if you if you what would you do if it wasn't this? I'd probably just be miserable. Um, <laughs> yeah. You'd be professionally miserable. Yeah. I'd sit. You know, I'd probably just be miserable. Yeah. So that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, mm -hmm. I've got two more for you, if you don't mind. Not at all. Okay. It's fine. Oh, great. Uh, here they are. Um, number one, and this is going to be impossible. It's an impossible question to answer for an artist. I'll try. What's your favorite painting? Hmm. Right now, there's several. Yeah. Um, That's what everyone always says. If I ask a, a musician, like, what's your favorite song? That's like the worst question in the whole world. It's okay. Um, or well, give me lately, one of them. I, I really like Artemisia Gentileschi's paintings. Uh, she was, enlighten me. <laughs> she was uh, a Renaissance painter actually a Baroque painter, mm -hmm. but she often had her work attributed to her father. She, yeah. she worked in the 1600s, mm -hmm. so she had some... Great time for a female entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in this time, women weren't allowed to work as an apprentice. Right. Um, they, they didn't draw female nude models. They didn't? Um, no, they would draw male nudes and turn them into females. Are you kidding me? That's why a lot of those paintings, of Michelangelo painting, they look very masculine. Oh, wow. This is yeah. inc this is incredibly uh, enlightening to me. So really, they had no female nude models? No, they didn't do it until the 1800s. That is strange. Yeah, so because... The male was seen as the logical, rational ideal, right? So Artemisia, she would often draw herself because sure. that was she had access to herself, right? I mean, yeah. And she did these really powerful paintings of biblical narratives mm -hmm. in that that was the only format for expression in that time. Yeah, it was accepted, yeah. And so she did some paintings from the Old Testament of, uh, one is the Judith series mm -hmm. of Judith beheading Hilarphanes. Mm -hmm. And it's a very bloody painting where she's literally cutting someone's head off. And in all of her paintings, they're very muscular and powerful. Mm. And so you can see her strength and her perseverance just in the work. Mm. And if you start to study her life, um, her father believed in her talent, and he signed her up to work with 
a teacher, um, Tassi, T-A-S-S-I. Mm -hmm. And there's talk of Tassi was raping, he raped her. Mm. And so there was this trial in which um, she was actually tortured in the trial as well because she may have fallen in love with him at the same time. Jeez. And she was seen as her father's property. Yeah, right. Which is also very troubling. And I think her father took the man to trial because he saw him as taking his property, which right. was his daughter. Sure, sure, right. So it's this very turbulent story, but you see it all in the work. Wow. And I like to teach students about it, especially female art students who think about how in this time they wouldn't be allowed to study art. And even if they did try to learn, they might have, someone might have made advances on them. Yeah, no kidding. And, but even just beyond the story, the, the art is so incredibly technically profound with the color and the light and the anatomy and mm -hmm. the um, composition and the scale. Mm -hmm. it's, it's extremely ambitious. I find it amazing every time I go to a concert hall or I go to a museum and you hear something or you see something that was made hundreds of years ago mm -hmm. and the fact that it's still there mm -hmm. long after that person and that person's relatives and probably their whole family line is gone 400 or, years later uh, yeah that someone with our eyes from this time could see that and then it could still mean something right still say something about human shared human experience that that you know politics change and religions influence changes and places of the world changes but people are people and you still see the brush strokes and yeah, it's like they're breathing through the painting and you're talking to them. That's amazing. And you're seeing their struggle through the colors and the strokes and the marks they make. So if you're, let's say it's 200 years from now mm -hmm. and your, some of your work is hanging somewhere, mm -hmm. what do you hope someone sees in that? Mm. Well, I think about in 200 years, people probably won't make a lot of paintings. So Ooh, that is extremely dark. Well, if you look at the way things are going. Yeah. Um, you think everything's just going to be digital? I think painting's going to be some sort of relic in 200 years, right? Almost like what a daguerreotype is. Mm -hmm. Sure. If you know a daguerreotype yeah. is mm -hmm. the early photograph where right. it's just one of a kind. Right. and. It's this archaic form, yeah. right? So I think on some level, just beyond my own identity as an artist, I think the paintings will be some relic, right? Mm -hmm. Some sort of relic because no one will make them anymore. Um, or if they do make them, it'll be this very archaic process, right? A bit like what lithography is mm -hmm. now, which lithography is making a print on yeah. a stone and it's very right. laborious. Sure. And, but that's why it's appreciated is yeah. the fact that- Someone still knows how to do that. Someone still knows how to do it and books aren't printed that way anymore. So I th that comes into play. But 200 years from now too, um, God, I hope humans I don't know. are still around. I mean, <laughs> I'll be dead. So sure. a lot of times I joke with my students that I'm going to fake my death. To, so you get famous? Yeah, to or at least just bring the value up higher. <laughs> and I say, if, if I don't come to class next week, that's I'm in Tahiti somewhere. So do you think about legacy a lot as an artist? Like having so much work, having so much created, do you think about like or does it not really matter to you? Like, are you going to just make this stuff until you stop making this stuff? And that's, it, it's mostly for you. It's not for the world or. Well, I think about archival materials. So paper, hmm. some of it's acid free, which means that it's not going to yellow. Mm -hmm. It's not going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I have a student and I tell her things like, don't draw on both sides of the paper because someday we might want to exhibit your work. And she she throws it in the garbage and she draws really well. And 
And she says, well, it's all about the process and not the product. And so on some level, I respect that because she sees the meditative process and what it means to her. Sure, but other but people on another see level, yeah. I say, um, you know, you have a daughter. Don't don't you think she'll want your work someday? Yeah. And, and she says, no, I don't think she'll want it. Ugh. And but I think she will, right? So, yeah. I mean, I have I have stepsons, and mm. they are kind of interested in what I do, but not really. <laughs> and they um, are they young. They're 13 and 17. Oh, okay. So I don't have my own biological children. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Maybe my siblings might collect my work. Or I have collectors who have bought my work. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, I, I think I'll have to die first <laughs> for, it to, <laughs> for me to even think about my legacy. Yeah. Um, I do try to protect my work. And yeah. I don't throw it in the garbage. Yeah. Um, but I also try to think more about the process and what it does for me. Mm. So that's a really hard question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, just from, I, you know, I've worked, I've had a studio in this same building where we're at right now for five years now. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a lot of artists in this building and I don't have any problem with any of them. I think they all make some lovely stuff, but I have mm -hmm. always been particularly entranced by your work. I think your mm. stuff is incredible. Thank and you. I really do. And uh, one of the biggest bummers about being uh, in the arts myself is that I'm not independently wealthy or I would <laughs> totally buy your stuff. <laughs> we can do a trade. Yeah, well, that's, that's the problem with art is that... Uh, yeah, we, if, we barter. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you know, I, you know, I, um, before I chose... Um, to dedicate most of my time and life to music, I actually wanted to be in visual art. Mm. And when I was a, a kid and into my high school years, I was way into cartooning and comic books. Mm -hmm. and I was drawing those and learning, learning, um, you know, musculature and everything from yeah. comic books and stuff like Anatomy. that. Anatomy. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And I took classes at the uh, School of the Art Institute um, all through high school. Mm, that's and, good that uh, you did that. Super serious about it. Mm. And uh, it got to that point that I was talking about before where like my parents were like, okay, but you, what are you going to really do? Mm. Um, it's a shame they didn't really push you to keep doing that. Well, no, they didn't. I mean, I, I don't, I, I think, I think for them, they, they gave up on fighting the music thing because my mother's father had been a jazz pianist. Hmm. in Chicago in the clubs in the 40s and 50s and 60s and stuff mm. and she had seen some success there so like she understood that there was a legacy there right sort of mm -hmm. yeah whereas like there was no one in my family that's a visual artist at all mm -hmm. and they were like that's just crazy mm -hmm. um, yeah I don't have anyone in my family that was an artist really anymore. my grandmother made quilts mm -hmm. and she was very talented but she never saw it as art. Mm -hmm. She saw it as um, a practical gift for somebody mm -hmm. to keep them warm, sure. which is also very redeeming yeah. in its own yeah. way. Yeah. But I can see how with your family they would embrace the music mm -hmm. because of, you said your grandfather? My grandfather, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and my and my parents are, are very big in, into, into music. They go to the opera all the time. They go to symphony all the time. So That's that made more sense to them. Mm -hmm. They could connect on that level. Yeah, but I think in another life, in another life, maybe I would have gone the other way and been, still been broke, but doing paintings in my room rather than writing poems or scripts or songs or whatever. Well, you can always pick it up again. That's true. If you decide. That's true. And hopefully, mm -hmm. hopefully I will when, when God knows when I'm going to have time, but uh, hopefully, <laughs> right. hopefully I will. Um, but, uh, you know, this has been just a lovely conversation. You've been the first visual artist I think I've ever spoken to uh, about their work. So well, this, thank is, you this for, is pretty cool. It's been good for me, too, just good. to go a little deeper and slow down and process things. Mm -hmm. If there is anywhere um, to find your work online, I would love for you to plug it for my listeners. So if there's sure, a website sure. to go to to see more of your work. or Sure. I have a website, so it's just www.sarah-kaiser.com and I show at a few galleries so I show at uh, the Petty Petter uh, Wine Gallery up in 
Saugatuck, Michigan. So wow. you just want to look up J P E D D E R wine gallery so they do wine and art that's cool <laughs> it's a nice mix if yeah. you're ever up in Saugatuck okay uh, and then I'm on firstdibs.com with Michael Laconte he's a dealer I've worked with a bit excellent so yeah yeah my work's out there you'll find it yeah and it is incredible so folks you should give that a look uh, thank you so Mike. very much, Sarah. This has been a real pleasure. Thanks I appreciate for coming. it. All right. I'll uh, talk to you folks uh, in a couple days with another episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.